The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello and welcome to A's Plus, the San Francisco Chronicles podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle beat writer Susan Slesser, and today we welcome A's third base coach Matt Williams, who will talk about what it was like to have all the festivities for the 1989 A's and Giants teams the last couple of weeks, and about his work with A's third baseman Matt Chapman. Then A's quality control coach Mark Kotze stops by to tell us about his special relationship with many of those going into the Hall of Fame this coming week, and reliever Jeremy Bleich talks about some of his family history. Finally, on Shea Plus, John and I talk about the All-Star break and Yuri's Familia, the A's new reliever. Our guest today is former Giants third baseman Matt Williams, now the A's third base coach. Matt, first of all, this has been kind of a two weekends of celebrating yeah. that 1989 A's and Giants. What what has that been like for you, especially seeing a lot of old teammates? Uh, it's been it's been really fun. Um, you know, being with the A's, unfortunately, I have to see them winning the World Championship every single night at home. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that still gets in there a little bit, but. Uh, it was nice. Yesterday was fantastic. All, all the guys coming back from the A's side, and then uh, right before the break, we got a chance to celebrate on the other side of the bay too. So it was fun. Uh, it, it's interesting that Kurt runs out in his Giants uniform for the A's celebration, and I run out in the A's uniform uh, for the Giants celebration. So it's uh, it's it was, it's been fun, and it, it's a, a great rivalry. And now we're playing for something, and so everybody's enjoying it. I think fans have been great too. The, the, 55,000 last night was pretty special. Now, was there anybody that you hadn't seen for a while that you were really excited to see? Well, yeah, I, I got a chance to see uh, Don Robinson over there for the Giants part. and I hadn't seen him in a long time. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's nice to see everybody that uh, that was your teammate. And those special memories are with you for life. So as soon as you see him, everything comes flooding back. So we, had, we enjoyed it. Now, this is your first year, obviously, as the A's third base coach. How long does it take to get accustomed to all the players and learn their, you know, their, their running styles, their running ability? What, what yeah. do you look for, and how long does it kind of take you to feel comfortable with everybody? Well, it's difficult um, initially in spring training because they're really not in shape and ready to go yet. So I think as you get to the season and everybody starts getting in shape and you get into the grind of it all, um, then you get a better sense. And so, yeah, it, you know, it, it's a it, the game dictates what you do most of the time, and um, there's times to be aggressive and times to not be. Um, it's a little different in the American League that you don't you don't have to account for the pitcher coming to the plate. So that's a little bit different. You can be a little bit less aggressive in certain situations in that regard because you have an extra hitter, and so um, that's a little bit of an adjustment. Something that is conscious for me anyway, and uh, so yeah, it, it's. It's about how the ball's hit and, and who's in the outfield and and uh, whether we can go first to third or not. And so all of those things come into play and go through your brain as the ball's being hit and being fielded. 
Um, but at the same time, these guys are really good about their secondary leads and, and going until I stop them. So that's, that's great. They've done a very nice job at it. Is it. As a younger team, sometimes is that more difficult with than a more veteran team? Well, I think, I think that you, you want the, the horse, right, that's a little bit wild. You want that because you know, I'm just a traffic cop, so I stop them if, if, uh, if I don't think it's prudent to go to the next base. But they're always aggressive. They're always looking for the extra base. And you know, from a coach's perspective, that's a good thing to have. Now, the veteran guys oftentimes, you know, again, they, they know they've been around enough that ball goes in the gap, and they're they're pulling the chute, coming around first, gliding into second base. So, you know, on the other side of the coin, the, the stallions you you like to have for sure. Yeah. Now, d- coming to the American League, does it take you a while to learn the outfielders? How do you do that? Is it mostly video? Is yeah. it reports? Or does it take you a while to seeing guys with your own eyes? Well, yeah, it's all of the above. I think you know the <clears throat> the front office gives us a lot of information, as as most teams get. But it's up to us to evaluate that and use that as much as we can. Uh, uh, for our own purposes. And so, uh, yeah, you can watch video. It never gives you the real-time feel uh, like you get when you stand on the field. So uh, that's a little bit of that, too. Um, th- so we've been through most of the league at this point, so I've got a sense, I think, of, of the opposing outfielders, uh, the opposing middle infielders' arms. And, uh, you know, we'll just keep going. Like, like I said, we, we want to be aggressive, we want to score runs, uh, and we want to do it in a prudent fashion. So. Um, when those guys are on second base, they're eager to go, and I'm, I'm eager to send them, too. Now, you're in the one coaching position on the field where sometimes you're very much in the, in the spotlight, yeah. uh, and it's kind of one of those things like with umpires. People only notice you maybe if you <laughs> haven't done, done what people think well, you should right. have done. Right. Um, has, how is that to deal with? Obviously, you're a former professional athlete. You're sure. used, to, used to pressure, but that can be a pretty pressure-packed position. Well, yeah, I mean, it, but it's the closest thing to playing. Even you know, even managing, you don't get that you don't get that in-game adrenaline push like you do when you're coaching third base. So for me, I, I love it. I, I love the fact that that it's the closest thing you can be to being actually being in between the white lines. Um, and I also love the fact that you know there's are, there are decisions to make. And so uh, in a split second, you've got to make it. And right, wrong, or indifferent, it's the one you got to make. So you trust the guys, you trust yourself, you trust the situation of the game and make the appropriate decision, hopefully. Do you beat yourself up, though, when it doesn't work out right? Well, of course. I mean, you know, it's, it, there, there's always the, you know, the, the, the worst one probably is um, there's a ball that goes down the line or whatever uh, with a man on first base, and you hold the runner at third. Um, and then, you know, in a, in a with nobody out situation, uh, because you don't want to make the first out at home plate, uh, and then the next guy pops up and the next guy strikes out, and you're thinking to yourself, wow, if, it, if I would have sent him, we would have had a run, we may come up with nothing. But it's the way the game is, and so you, good, bad, uh, it doesn't matter, you let it go and you look forward to the next pitch. So and that's the way I approach it. Now you also work with the A's infielders, and you've got a real gem in, in Matt Chapman. What's your guy's relationship like? What's it been like working with him? Uh, it's good. I, you know, he is uh, eager and he's willing, and uh, you know, I, I think that he's um, really good as we speak. And I think there's a lot of things that he can do to become really, really good. So you know, I, you know, in modern day, for me, he's Nolan Arenado. He's, uh, you know, he's. He's as good as anybody over there. We've seen the spectacular. Uh, the thing I want to stress to Matt is to just 
slow down a little bit. He's so aggressive that oftentimes he gets himself in a bad position fielding a baseball. Um, but the spectacular is certainly there. And, and so as he goes through his career, he'll learn to be a little bit more patient. He'll learn to be a little bit more under control at times. And, uh, and then he'll turn into whatever he chooses to turn into. It's, it's really special. What is it that makes him good? What makes a good third baseman in general? Reaction time has to be incredibly quick, but you also need to have a cannon of an arm. Yeah, he's got, a, he's got everything. I think for, for both Matt Chapman and Matt Olson, our corner guys, I, I have yet to see young players like that just, just emerging as big leaguers, really, um, with the sense of timing and internal clock that they've got. And so, and that's that's innate. One, it's fantastic teaching. Two, uh, and it's the ability and the willingness to to be good and take it seriously. They, t- they both take their defense very seriously, and I think that's one of the reasons we're in the position we're in. Because you know, good plays and making the routine play and making the spectacular play on occasion keeps you in baseball games and gives yourself a chance to win. So, you know the old adage. Pitching and defense will win you baseball games, or at least keep you in the game. And with our offense, it's given us chances. And I think that's why we stand where we stand today. And there's certainly room for improvement, but um, it's been pretty good so far. Uh, you, I, talking about them taking it seriously, there was one point during the spring training, I loved it. You, I think it was you and Kotze had Chapman and Olsen. They, they, I think they wanted to do like a little competition. Mm-hmm. And you guys were hitting them fungos. And they had a, a competition to see how many balls that each right. other, like who would miss... And I, I think I was a little surprised. I think Olsen wound up winning that one. What do you remember about that day? Yeah, Chappie's still mad about that. But, <laughs> but that's what, you know, you have to have that. You have to have that sense of competition. There's, you get into spring training and take a million grounders. But when you can translate that into a pressure situation, it makes you a better player. Yeah. And there's a method to the madness, certainly. But, um, but the, you know, they, they love to go back and forth. They, they respect each other's abilities. Um, and they know they're good. Uh, they, they, they know that they can play this game, and so we're just helping them along that path. And, and they, like I said, both of them have the ability to go wherever they want to go. Now, you alluded a little bit to how well this team is playing. What, what's kind of your view, especially first year coming in the organization, knowing they'd finished in last place three years in a row, uh, how well this team is performing, especially through the first half? Well, I think there's a lot of young players that are, that are now establishing themselves as major leaguers. There's no question, you know, for me, being the outsider, if you will, there's no question whether Matt Chapman's going to be the third baseman or Matt Olson's going to be the first baseman. And so that comfort level is there. Our job as coaches is to make sure that we, we let them understand that but also encourage them to keep working at their craft. And so they're both doing that. Marcus has been fantastic. Jed has been fantastic from an infield standpoint, certainly. Um, and so, you know, they all work. I mean, you know, today we're, I don't know, game 100 or something close to that and um, you know after a long one last night and extra innings and I've got infielders itching to get out there and take early grounders that's a fantastic feeling right so um, and you know that's partly youth uh, but it's partly understanding where we're at in this season what our chances potentially are and the willingness and the desire to get better well, that's a, it seems like this is a team that throughout the season has been getting incrementally better, which, I, of course, any, any, you want to see with any young team. Sure. But the fact that you're already within maybe striking distance of a playoff spot and this team has room to grow and has been doing so, I'm assuming from a coaching standpoint, that's got to be really rewarding. It sure is. I mean, you, you know, you look at it and, and how things started in the first part of the season. 
um, and the fact that they're getting better. You just look around. Um, you know, Jed certainly has been great the whole year. Um, the two guys on the corners are emerging as, uh, you know, their offense is emerging too, remembering that they both had less than a year's worth of at-bats coming in, right? And so they're progressing, and they're getting better, and they're doing well. And so, you know, you look at all of this, these guys combined, we have a very young, very enthusiastic team that is willing to come out and, and play every day. And I think they're starting to turn the corner in that now they're expecting to win. And that's a really good thing. It's not going to go our way every day. We know that. But, but when they step on the field, they, they say to themselves, wow, we got a chance to beat this club today. And that's a good feeling to have. So they're aggressive, they're confident, and they go out and play hard. And that's all we can ask. Matt Williams, thank you so much for your time today on Ace Plus. Thank you. We welcome in A's coach Mark Kotze. Mark, uh, this is sort of a special uh, Hall of Fame induction ceremony segment because you played with three of the guys going in and you played against one of them. Uh, I know you're especially close to Trevor Hoffman. Tell, tell us what it was like to, to play with one of the great closers of all time. Well, not only was he a great closer, but just a great teammate uh, overall. Um, one of the best teammates I've probably played with in my career, a selfless uh, player that really put the team first even though his role was uh, somewhat of an individual role where he's coming in and his glory is that he gets to pitch the last out of the game which uh, is fun and, and challenging at the same time but uh, really enjoyed my time with Trevor for three years in San Diego um, became really close to him and uh, we have a great friendship and I'll be uh, honored to be there uh, in his section uh, for his induction to the Hall of Fame. And what about Tommy and Chipper? Tommy and Chipper were both teammates. Uh, Chipper and I developed a great bond in Atlanta for the five and a half months I was there. Um, really a great guy, good teammate. Uh, one of the best hitters I've ever played with and, and been around. Uh, just a pure baseball player, um, born to be a switch hitter and a Hall of Famer, which uh, real happy to, for him and, and uh, be able to enjoy that moment as well with him being there. Uh, and then Jimmy, Jimmy Tomey, just one of the best guys in baseball. Uh, Mike Sweeney came through the Oakland Athletics organization. He, he and Mike share uh, a commonality in, in just their kindness and, and their sweetheartness. Uh, so it'll be great for Jimmy to get in there. Um, uh, first class, first class individual, uh, family man. Uh, I'm interested to, to hear all three of their speeches. Uh, and then I also was coached by a Hall of Famer that's being inducted in Alan Trammell. Oh, so Alan Trammell goes in uh, with this class, uh, well-deserved and, and uh, a long time in, in, in waiting. Oh my gosh, you're, you're going to know everybody there. Now you played against Vladimir Carrero essentially your whole career. What was he like as, a, as an opponent? How, what was your view of him, especially, you know, also being an outfielder? Yeah, no, Vladi and I uh, competed. Uh, I tried to outdo him every year in, in throwing people out because that was probably the only tool that I could uh, keep up with him in and uh, was successful in that. But, uh, no, Vladimir Guerrero is a special player, five-tool player. Uh, I remember him hitting a bounced curveball over the left field fence in Montreal. Um, you know, an amazing talent and a well-deserved uh, induction for him. Uh, you know, happy for him and, and that he's recognized as that player that he was. He dominated the game for an extended period of time and, and well-deserved. Have you been to an induction ceremony before? No, I have not. And uh, I think the 
it's fitting that this is the induction ceremony I'm going to um, because I do feel a part of each of those guys, uh, you know, and, and enjoyment in the game. And, and uh, I don't know if I'll go back to another one because uh, this could be just that time of year. Yeah, oh, that's wonderful. Have a great time. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Welcome to the Player's Choice segment of the A's Plus podcast today. It's Jeremy Bleich, the A's reliever who played at Stanford. And also, last year, Jeremy, you got to play on Team Israel in the World Baseball Classic. What, what was that experience like? Oh, it was a great experience. Um, just get a, a group of guys together that kind of all, uh, you know, came, we came together quick. <laughs> we were forced to. And uh, we kind of, you know, we gelled very quickly and uh, were able to do some damage over in Korea. Yeah, you guys went a little farther than I think people expected. What, what was sort of, what magical was kind of going on that helped you guys keep, you know, advancing? Well, I think anytime you get... Uh, a group of professional baseball players together. You know, obviously there were a couple guys in there who had had big league experience at that point, sprinkled in along with a bunch of other, you know, guys who had sprinkled around the minor leagues up in AAA or wherever it may be. But there's parity across the game in terms of talent, if you look at it. I mean, for the most part, um, you know, everybody can play. You know, everyone can throw a name 90 miles an hour or whatever it may be. But on a more serious note, you get these guys together and, um, you create a desire to win, you know, um, that drive, that, that plays at a high level. And so I think some talented guys got together and we, we had a drive and we, we, we made a push. It looked like it was an awful lot of fun. I think everybody was having a, a good time rooting for you guys, too. There were um, former A's outfielder Sam Fold was on that team. You got to be very good friends with Sam. What, what was that like meeting Sam and getting to know him? Well, I've heard a lot about Sam throughout the years just from being a, a Stanford grad and being a couple years ahead of me there. And just, um, you know, I heard obviously a great player, also a great person, and got to experience that firsthand uh, when, we, when we went together um, overseas and spent a lot of time, got to made an attempt to uh, immerse ourselves into the culture there, which was also fun. I was probably afraid to do it by myself, so I'm glad I had a partner in him. And, uh, you know, overall, just like I said, he was was a big leader for us, uh, given his experience, and we all kind of followed and came together. Now, I I know you guys made a trip before the World Baseball Classic to Israel, Mm -hmm. and I know that that was meaningful to you. You have grandparents who went through the Holocaust. Tell us a little bit about that. Uh, My dad's parents, uh, both mother and father, uh, they're both Holocaust survivors, uh, both in Auschwitz for a period of time. Um, you know, I think I want to say my grandmother was uh, in her in her teens, maybe um, just taken by the Germans at 15, um, and <clears throat> were liberated. I want to say two and a half, three and a half years later. And uh, obviously, you know, there's been uh, they've, they've done a lot of. Fortunately, a lot of that generation has um, passed on. Uh, passed away, but uh, my, my, both my grandparents have. But I, I had a few opportunities to ask some questions. I'm the younger of the grandchildren, of all the grandchildren, so probably not as many things as, as I would have liked. And I don't think my grandparents really wanted it to be a large part of my life as well, so they didn't talk about it much. But um, you know, I think it kind of, you know, I'm, I'm one to believe there are, um, you know, um, things passed down in terms of survival and determination and these things that. You know, they have to be. I, I want to believe they're, they're part of kind of my genetics. Yeah, inspiration too, sure. really, definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Now, you are one of three Stanford players on the current A's roster. There are also two Cal guys here. Do you guys kind of joke about that? What do you think about having so many players in one clubhouse who attended school right here in the Bay Area? I think it's great. 
Um, you know, we'll joke about it here and there. I've spent spent a ton, a ton of time here yet, uh, but um, you know, I think there's there's some common ground there. And uh, when it comes up, or something may come up, you know, around maybe in other sports, or maybe maybe when college football season comes around, who knows? But. Um, so I think it's good whenever there's some sort of common ground. Yeah, a lot of local ties here. Thanks so much for joining us, Jeremy Bleich. Thanks so much for having me. It's time on the A's Plus podcast for the Shea Hey Plus segment. It's been a, a while, but John, um, you are just coming back from the All-Star Game, which I know is always an event you love to cover. Uh, how how was that this year? And uh, give us a little sense of the flavor with uh, the A's players who were there, Jed Lowry and Blake Trinan. Yeah, it was it was quite a scene. The uh, the All-Star Game, 10 home runs, 25 psych, uh, strikeouts. It was sort of uh, typical of what we've seen this season so far. Uh, and and you know it's going to be more of the same this is the first year in history we'll probably have more strikeouts than hits and that was a microcosm of what the season is all about a lot of home runs a lot of strikeouts a lot of guys throwing 97 a lot of guys hitting the ball far uh i think there was only one rbi that wasn't home run produced it was it was pretty wild uh you know they broke the record at six and then moved on to ten and uh Trying it afterward, I asked him about his inning. He said, "Well, maybe I got to reevaluate because I struck out nobody. You know, just <laughs> a perfect one-two-three inning." But uh, yeah, it, it, it was it was kind of cool that they both went in together in the sixth inning. Uh, Lowry at second base and trying into the to the mound, and uh, you know, one play in particular was was a real tough play for Lowry to his left, uh, one of the three outs, uh, in, in making the real nice play in the three-four hole. And no matter what happens from here. You know, he'll have this all-star game on his resume. And, you know, he's up uh, three times. He drew a walk. He made a couple outs. Uh, you know, he finished the game. He went extras. And, you know, he was the second baseman on a winning team. So it was it was, it was was pretty cool. And Trinan with the perfect inning. And uh, it, it was uh, a, a lot of good vibes on the Oakland side. And, you know, it's not, it, it you know, other than that crazy 14 year where the whole roster went to the all-star game. Uh, I think it was 14, right? 14. Um, You know, it's it's usually a reliever or, uh, you know, Justin Dukesher went every year. You know, it's like, well, okay. I mean, not not a whole lot of things are rallying around for for A's fans. But this time, this this killer uh, closer with the nasty sinker and the second baseman who's who's been around seemingly forever and keeps coming back to Oakland. And who knows, he might show up again next year. Uh, You know, he he, he had his... uh, his glory with the with the all-star appearance yeah I got, I got the impression that you know that he felt like he even appreciates it more you know coming later in his career the way it did at the age of 34 and you know trying and going back to dc what a great story for him he gets the big round of applause from a crowd of uh, presumably mostly national fans he seemed really delighted by that uh so really for for both ace players i think really kind of a just fun you know exactly what an all-star game should be but really you know you, every year there's some guys that kind of you know either want to duck the game don't want to go have mm-hmm. not necessarily the best attitude these were two guys who seemed like they really truly enjoyed it and absolutely a lot of these guys who have been there done that these were two first timers you know guys who've been around and done this a long time you don't really see them at their locker giving interviews you um they just kind of got to want to get in want to get out uh, play the game and move on i i was down 
down in the tunnel outside the clubhouse. A lot of guys left in the sixth, seventh inning after they came out. Um, but, you know, Lowry and Trinan were not going anywhere. I mean, they wanted to absorb every minute of it. And part of that was talking about the game and addressing the media, addressing their fans through the media. And sure enough, Lowry was available and, and as was uh, was Trinan, so you know Trinan, he 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 got uh, he got a lot of cheers when he came into the game, and he got a lot of cheers during introductions. And he had no idea what it was going to be like having an up and down season last year before coming to Oakland in Washington, and he didn't know if he was going to hear a few boo boos or or and it was all cheers, it was all positive. So he was he was pretty stoked about the uh, the treatment he got. Now, you mentioned Jed Lowry, and, you know, maybe this won't be his last first and only all-star appearance. Uh, the A's have made some noises about potentially uh, signing into an extension, maybe a, a two-year deal, something like that. Uh, they have yet to talk to Lowry or his representative about it, but just the fact they're considering it is kind of neat. And I know you, you spoke to Lowry a little bit about that. What did he tell you? Well, he did say that this is totally unlike the situation in the final weeks of the 14 season when he was entering free agency as a A's infielder. He said there there was zero interest then, and he said there is interest now. And that's a big difference because now suddenly, hey, the A's are an option, and they weren't uh, after that 14 season moving on to 15. Remember, he signed a three-year deal with Houston. And I asked him, well, is the interest mutual? And he said, absolutely. He said uh, when he came over here the second time after the trade, uh, you know, the talent level and the spirit and the, the upside definitely wasn't what it is now with Chapman and Olsen and Manai and all these guys. And he enjoys himself. He said, this is this is just a great team to play for. And they look up to him. They look up to him as a, as a leader. You know, we, we know about Simeon and with the double play combination, uh, you know, looking up to Lowry as a helpful guy around the bag. And of course, the, the corner infielders look up to him as a guy who is much older than they are and who sort of uh, leads by example. And A's guy, you know, the A's haven't always had those guys. They've been so young and dependent on prospects coming up and kind of fending for themselves and, you know, including in the rotation. But, you know, here's a guy who wouldn't mind coming back and, an extension, I don't know. Uh, returning as a free agent, I don't know. Maybe it's a long shot. He is 34, so any kind of multi-year deal. And obviously, Barreto is waiting in the wings. Is he ready? I, I, I'm not convinced. But maybe someone in the front office is convinced. Maybe Bob Melvin is. I'm not sure. But they love Lowry for now. And if they're talking about something longer term, you know, whether it's 19 and 20 or just one year with an option or two-year guarantee, who knows? But at least there's discussion, and that's something that wasn't uh, there in, in in the 14 season. Absolutely. Um, what are your thoughts on the A's? You know, go, they go into the break, they take two of three at San Francisco, and then coming out of the break, they take two of three against the Giants, um, and in packed stadiums at the at both sides, but particularly the Coliseum, and also setting that the all-time baseball attendance record in Oakland one night when they opened up Mount Davis. Well, this is a team without many players who have been in the postseason. And if if, if there was any series that was uh, similar to a playoff series, maybe it was against the Giants where there were packed crowds. And, 
you know, meaningful games. In, in other words, going into the trade deadline, you know, if, if the A's just got swept out by the Giants and went 0 and 6 or 1 and 5, and you know, suddenly Billy's not getting familiar, he's not looking to upgrade at the deadline. And they won four out of six. I think they lost the opener in both series and then won the next one and then won the third one. So that's that, that's something significant for a team that's trying to figure itself out and, and winning all these games, the hottest team in, in baseball since mid-June. And I look at Seattle and I say, well, I, you know, it's not like they're a dominant team. Statistically, you look at their rotation, the bullpen, the lineup, I mean, they're not top five in, in the American League in anything. ERA, batting average, OPS, uh, uh, you know, Diaz out of the bullpen is, is is wonderful. And, you know, they have the old man Cruz and, and Paxton at the front end of the rotation and, you know, some all-stars. I think they had four, and I went around the room and talked to a few about the A's, Hanniger, Segura. But, I mean, it's a good team, but it's not a great team. And, obviously, they're, they're catchable. And, and it's funny because I <laughs> – when and you know, I'm sure you ask the same questions to the people around the room, but you know, specifically the two all stars. When I spoke with them about Seattle in particular, Lowry was Mr. Conservative, saying the focus has to be narrow, uh, be aware of the standings, but don't be driven by them. It's don't don't uh, believe what they're saying about you because if you do, you, you're you're going to get off focus uh, and not do the things that got you here in the first place, and all this stuff that. You know, any coach would tell you, right? He's 34. He's been around the block. Then I talked to Trinan and, uh, you know, a late bloomer and really coming to his own this year. And he's, he's saying the opposite. Hey, why not the A's this year? Uh, you know, are they catchable? Absolutely. Um, and he even said, this is, this is interesting. He said, that, you know, baseball needs a middle of the pack team, you know, to emerge and maybe make some noise in the playoff race because this whole season, we talk all about the teams that are tanking. And then on the upside, we talk about Boston and New York. These teams could win 107, 108, 109 games. Uh, just ridiculously good. You know, Houston, we already you know, pretty much know most of the playoff teams. The A's are the one team that's challenging from the outside looking in. So he, he's saying, you know, it's good for baseball to have a middle-of-the-pack team. And he said, why not the A's? So it's <laughs> a little, little different uh, mindset than, than, uh, than the 34-year-old second baseman. Yeah, and you know what? Here's one thing that uh, has struck me about the A's over the course of the season. They continue to keep getting better. Um, you know, it's incrementally, but their, their, their trend all season has been upward. Uh, probably indicative of a young team. You know, there's still room to grow, and I think they can get better. And then they go out, and they get Eurus Familia. Um, and, you know, we, last time we talked, John, I, I think I was a little skeptical about whether ownership would actually elect to spend some money to bring in uh, a player to help the A's. Uh, I have to give them credit. They did, taking on the, the rest of Familia's contract for this year, a little right around the $3 million mark. Takes them up to maybe close to, to $70 million, still the lowest in the majors. Uh, but mm -hmm. it, still, it's uh, you know they the front office has been clear. We want to go for it when we've got an opportunity, when we want to try to make something happen. They go out and get Familia. What do you think of Familia as an acquisition? Well, it's it's really interesting when when I heard about it and when they signed it, I, I I kept going back to the trade deadline in '14 when Billy Bean didn't have a whole lot of confidence with that rotation. He saw uh, maybe it not holding up the last couple of months, and he went out and got Lester and Samarja, 
you know, you had to give up big names in Cespedes and Addison Russell, of course, but, uh, uh, you know, he kind of went for it. And and then they kind of solidified the rotation and, you know, the unfortunate loss to Kansas City in the wild card game. But, but you know, now a few years later, you look at this team and he's probably looking at this bullpen and saying, well, I, I don't see this bullpen, even though it's so good, holding up because the way Bob Melvin uses, and he has to do this, and he talks all the time about how Trinan and Trevino are okay going multiple innings. Well, that's going to add up in August and September. Uh, you know, just looking at these numbers, I mean, Trinan and Trevino and Petit, all, all these guys, um, they're all among the leaders in innings pitched. And, and they pitch a lot more innings than appearances. A lot of these closers, like Familia, uh, go one inning. I mean, Familia, 40 games, 40 and two-thirds innings. It's a lot different than the, the workload on Trinan and, and Trevino. Trevino's among the top 15 in appearances, yet he didn't start the season with the A's. You know, not until later on in April did he show up. But he, he caught up in a hurry in terms of, uh, uh, you know, actual innings pitch. So it's so, so you, you would think that this couldn't last at this pace. But getting Familia, now you have three top guys at the back end, and it's a six-inning game from the rotation, maybe a five-inning game with Pagan in there somewhere. And whoever else uh, Bob Melvin uses, whether it's a mixing and matching thing in the fifth inning or sixth inning and they're going into the big three at the end, it's pretty significant. And for a team that's not going to spend a lot of money for big-name starting pitchers, the next best thing is to get relievers on the cheap. And on the cheap meaning, you know, they didn't have to give up a Cespedes or Samarja, but a Bobby Wall and, you know, a couple of prospects that may or may not may or may not make a name for themselves and of course the the international uh, slot money is significant in this trade for the Mets so it's it's uh you know it, it's something that it, kind of an investment in the last couple of months knowing that the bullpen might not hold up the way it's targeted right now despite how good these guys are yeah, Bob Melvin has had to use the bullpen this way. I mean, um, Sean Manaya is the only guy who kind of reliably can get into the sixth, seventh. Edwin Jackson has since they've picked him up. He's he's been pretty good. But by and large, you know, whether it's sometimes injuries, sometimes underperformance, that bullpen sometimes he has to go to the bullpen in the fourth inning, uh, oftentimes mm. in the fifth inning. So uh, you know, he's using a lot of guys multiple innings. That's one of the main reasons they picked up use Merrill Petit is because he can do that. But yeah, when you're using the back end guys for multiple innings often, um, that that could take its toll. So I, I think this was a good way to go. Uh, Bobby Wall is a guy I like, um, and he certainly is having a was having a tremendous season at Nashville. And uh, I, I think he could be a decent major league reliever. Will Toffey, uh, the third baseman from uh, Class A Stockton, very good defensive player, had yet to really start hitting in the Cal League. So um, I think that's the question mark with him is the offense. But yeah, giving that international slot money, I think that did the trick uh, and uh, was a savvy way for the A's to go. Now, you were at meetings during the All-Star break with both Rob Manfred and Tony Clark. And uh, I know you, as always, whenever we get a chance to with the commissioners there, we, we immediately always ask about the stadium situation. So how did that go this year with the annual Chronicle asks about, about the A's stadium <laughs> search? Yeah, there, there are 30 teams and there are 28 ballparks that are 
good to very good, and then there are two that are not. And, uh, uh, you know, that's Tampa Bay and Oakland. And every time the commissioner is available to the media, uh, you know, the media from Oakland, the media from St. Pete's, you know, it's, it's always question number one. You know, what are you doing for this stadium? Uh, and I asked them in, in this particular case you know it's you know not that this has gone back to Bud Selig I think he the commissioners have met with the Baseball Writers Association of America since 03 at the all-star break kind of a tradition now it's it's something he does for an hour and he addresses everything from rules to to to, to PEDs to uh, pace of play to uh, collision rules to uh, you know international uh drafts to you know just all kinds of things and um so you know once again i asked him a little bit harder this time more direct uh i, I basically asked him when is enough enough i mean how long are you going to give the a's to figure this out because we've seen so many failures san jose and fremont now laney college uh, which rob manford called an unfortunate misstep so you know you're not real encouraged with the way that turned out uh, on any front and you know three strikes you're out I mean it's it's to the point now where where do you go from here I mean you keep having faith in a team that constantly doesn't get it done with a ballpark and it definitely needs replacing and we hear the A saying well at the end of the year you know we'll have some kind of direction but it, it's 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 just you know to the point where would baseball move on they're talking about expansion and 32 teams and he keeps saying, well, not until the A's and Rays get their act together with their ballparks are we going to talk about expansion. So he said something interesting on, on that front. He said uh, on, the, on, on the Oakland market, he said, there's not another market in the U.S. with upside potential as Oakland. Now, there are many parts to that statement, and one of them is in the U.S. And, and obviously Montreal and uh Mexico are, are on the list of candidates for expansion. So maybe he's saying the A's would fall, you know, below there. But also I heard a bunch when I posted that on Twitter and on our website, I heard all kinds of uh, reaction from Portland say, well, what about us? What about us? We're you you're saying we don't have the upside that, you know, the A's do in Oakland. Well, no, you don't. I mean, this is a huge market with the sixth biggest in the country, the media market, the Bay Area. It's not just poor little Oakland. I mean, this is the Bay Area, and that's why Manfred and these guys, uh, you know, look at this as a long-term fix. He says we would really regret moving, uh, you know, if 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 we moved out of Oakland, we later would regret that. And of course, the Giants would have the market to themselves, and I don't think they want that either. It's the biggest one one team market, and right now it's the smallest two team market, but. Uh, he did say, hey, you know, the A's need to do this sooner rather than later. So uh, it's you, you wonder how long this could go on before uh, other options are, are out there. But for now, he still has faith. He still has a commitment to Oakland. But, uh, yeah, I followed up with another question about, uh, you know, the A's payroll. It was, you know, you're saying right, right now it's probably more like $70 million. And it's still the lowest in baseball. And I, I said, you know, is that justified for for playing in such a major market? I know the revenue is not as big. But in the same breath, I mentioned the revenue sharing checks, which they benefited from immensely in the past. And now it's all going away, according to the latest CBA. I think it's 2021. They'll no longer get the, the free checks from 
from the Giants and every other team that are that's paying into this stuff. So, you know, he he kind of popped off and said he didn't appreciate the premise of the question that, you know, is it justified to have such a small payroll? And he, he said, well, there's no correlation between winning and payroll. And, you know, that's that's up for debate. But there, there are a lot of teams in baseball, including the A's, who have, who have flourished over the years with lower payrolls. But, you know, the A's are also one of the four teams uh, the subject of this union grievance, you know, along with the Marlins and the Rays and the Pirates and for not spending appropriately their revenue sharing income. So, I mean, it's it's a it's a dicey issue. And, you know, uh, Tony Clark at the same uh, meeting with the BBWA said, you know, we will be moder- monitoring the A's because, uh, you know, along with the other three teams and especially, he said, you know, with two weeks before the deadline. You know, we're going to watch closely to see what they do. And, and now we have Familia. So, yeah, the A's did upgrade. They did you know, spike the payroll somewhat. And uh, anyway, so there's a lot of stuff going on with the A's and Major League Baseball and with the union. And, you know, it was a wonderful weekend in Oakland with the sellout crowds against the Giants. But in terms of long-term prosperity and, uh, you know, digging uh you know sinking a shovel into the ground I and mean, we're still a long way from that and and you know the future is sort of up in the air yeah it's really interesting i mean it, the bay area is a market just uh really quickly on that and the several weeks ago the chronicle had a story that uh over the next 12 years the bay area uh, will grow another two million so mm-hmm. uh it, it just keeps growing and growing obviously and one of the richest regions in the country. And I remember when the A's were talking about San Jose, there were a lot of people in Major League Baseball who thought, great, a ballpark in the middle of Silicon Valley. That would be great. And it's, you know, I, I think some of those people were, were unhappy that the Giants sort of thwarted that effort uh, because that would have been, you know, nice for, for MLB, probably a, a pretty pretty good moneymaker for MLB to have a, a stadium right in, in the middle of San Jose. Now, the, it's funny, as Oakland has become sort of more of a hot market and um, companies are moving out of San Francisco to Oakland and it's becoming sort of hip and younger because of a, a lot of the, uh, you know, younger workers are moving to Oakland and restaurants, that, that kind of arts community, all of that is flourishing. Uh, I, I think a lot of people in Major League Baseball and, and uh, really just in, in general uh, in, in the baseball crowd are starting to think, hey, maybe the Giants might wind up regretting this not letting the A's go to San Jose because they might wind up having the better market uh, be Oakland and even and obviously much, much closer to San Francisco, which is one of the reasons this rivalry, I think, is potentially uh, going to pick up even more steam. And I, I really enjoyed uh, both series in San Francisco and Oakland this year. I think there is starting to be a little bit more flair to it. Dave Cavill's certainly been trying to push it. Uh, the games were good, particularly the last couple ones in Oakland. Uh, the crowds were into it, and uh, you know I think people are getting some feathers ruffled. That's not necessarily a bad thing when you've got a rivalry. I think maybe the rivalry with the two cities is coming back a little bit, and with the baseball teams, which I, I think will be very healthy. And it's better for the Giants that the A's stay. They would not admit it, but it's better in terms of competition for the fan base because they're you know it's like the Forty ers when the Raiders leave here. Uh, what do you really have to do? You know, you're going to draw no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, no matter how bad you are. You're going to draw because you're the only ticket in town. Well, you know, now 
baseball fans have a choice. You know, DH League, no DH League, American National, Giants A's, you know, this ballpark, that ballpark. And, you know, it's it's two different it's two different teams in the same market, unlike, you know, Baltimore or Washington where technically it's two different markets. But this is this is this is good for baseball and it's good for the Giants fan base because they would know that the you know, with the A's the Giants need to try harder. And without the A's, they they would own this uh, market, and I don't think any uh, other owner is would be real hip with that, uh, giving the entire market to one team because it would be a financial goldmine if it isn't already for the Giants. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think I think they're doing pretty well. Uh, and you yeah. know what, the A's the A's I think always kind of like their scrappy. We're number two, you know, a little bit of a chip on their shoulder persona. You know, they like that Oakland renegade kind of kind of thing they've got going on so so it works really well and i thought it was uh the last two weekends were a really nice kind of reminder of that and yeah i i think most just baseball fans in general and certainly journalists sports journalists in the bay area it's fun when both teams are doing well right you know it's I, there's no reason to root for or against teams as a sports journalist but it's better for everybody when the teams are doing well and when they're doing well and playing each other, I think that's, you know, that's that's really a, about as good as it can get. John Shea, thank you so much for joining us on Shea Plus, and we will speak to you again very soon. Thanks, Susan. This show is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Our theme music is The Third by Anatech, courtesy of the Free Music Archive. The show is produced by me and Fernando Diaz. For more A's coverage, you can follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser. Check out all of our coverage at sfchronicle.com.